This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 864, A Conversation with Len Kaminsky. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 864, my conversation with Len Kaminsky. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I recently sat down with Len and talked about his career in comics, writing Iron Man, what it was like to take on the Iron Man after John Byrne, and kind of have the unenviable task of trying to fix a character who was dying after the previous uh, writer kind of put him in the dire straits. Uh, he talks about kind of creating War Machine and uh, uh, you know developing that uh, level of the Iron Man mythos, uh, which obviously has a huge part to play in what happened with those characters. Characters in the in the future, and uh, everyone kind of looks back at you know whenever you think of Rhodes these days, you do think of him as War Machine. Whereas back when he started writing, he was the replacement Iron Man. So uh, definitely a very big change there. We also talk about Morbius and other books they worked on in the nineties as well. Uh, so I hope you do enjoy this episode. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, in the next month and a half, we're going to have Mark Wade back on the show. Uh, we're going to have another uh, episode looking at some of the Dawn of X books. That this one, this time looking at Excalibur. Uh, this time, this time um, I'll be joined again by uh, Paul Scores and Nathan Struck, my brothers, not brothers-in-law, but uh, the godfathers of my children, I should say. Um, that's how I like to introduce them on the show. Um, and we're also going to be having Bob Budiansky is going to be uh, joining us on the show as well, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, that will be, I think, mid to late April. Um, so that's definitely uh, something to uh, be excited about. I haven't read a lot of, of the old uh, Transformers comics, but I've, I'm actually also really interested in just his his period as an editor as well we're also going to be having uh, evan skolnick on this show as well um who you know also worked in kind of editorial in that period in the 90s and was also a writer on uh new warriors and then has worked a lot in video game uh, writing ever since um so that is something i'm really excited about in the next uh, little bit in the next month and a half and again as i said mark wade coming back on the show i always try to try and talk about stuff that no one else will ask him about which is this time hopefully going to be about kazar i jokingly mentioned it in a previous episode and uh, I do actually want to get into it with him because I've always liked his, his uh, Kazar so I might be the one but uh, I've definitely enjoyed it so I uh, hope you enjoy this episode You could, as I said you can email me at comicshenanigans.gmail.com and uh, you can rate us on iTunes subscribe to us on iTunes and l- listen to us on Stitcher so without further ado let's jump right into the conversation with Len Kaminsky enjoy Len welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast where are you today? I'm doing okay. Uh, yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you on um, because I can honestly say that you are you're the one who wrote the first Iron Man issue I've ever read, um, which was Iron Man 311. It was a weird time to read someone's first uh, first issue of Iron Man because it was <laughs> it was it was hip deep in uh, the hands of the Mandarin crossover. But uh, that's always meant a lot to me. And in fact, um, I think it was eight or nine years ago they finally came out with a trade paperback of the Hands of the Mandarin collection. Uh, with that entire storyline, and you better believe I bought that first day because, again, that that storyline and that that issue in particular um, resonated so much with me when I was younger. It's funny. Um, many of the people I've, I've spoken to you about, you know, when I'm in, uh, uh, when when they they'll, they'll like you just did cite a specific issue <laughs> and how it made an impression on them about 
there's some aspect of the character or the, the villain or whatever uh, that is, is stuck with, but then uh, I guess I was doing something right. I think you Mark were. Always, Mark Riddle always used to say, every comic book is somebody's first comic book. Mm-hmm. And I tried, I tried to you know, keep that in mind, uh, uh, you know, because um, uh, Mark was a very smart man. Yeah, um, absolutely. I learned a lot from him. And I, he's on that list of people that, uh, you know, due to circumstance, he will never know how much, you know, he meant to me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, and we, we had a good time doing Quasar. Um, you know, and I thought I, I said we, we were friends rather than just uh, business acquaintances. Uh, he invited me to parties at his house and stuff. But mm-hmm. Never quite as tight as say him and Howard or him and Mike. Hmm. Um, what what would your but, be what uh, would you be your 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 kind of favorite uh, your favorite Mark story? Everyone seems to have one. Oh Lord, um, I, I gotta think because there were so many. Uh, some, oh, yeah, I, I, um, I'm not even sure I should, um. You can think about it. You, you can think about it if it's appropriate. <laughs> oh, I, I just realized what, was my, what my favorite is, but I'm not sure I should tell it. Because okay. <laughs> some of the parties involved, some of the other parties involved are still with us. Um, um. And having one in particular not know is important. <laughs> um, we can leave it there then. Again, uh, if if you think of something that you can say that you know isn't uh, you know potentially damning to others, you can uh, you can mention it. But well, uh, here, here's 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 one that you know I, I'm just like something over. Not even necessarily my favorite, but like you know uh, which one stands you know has the highest peak in my memory is. You know, the one that, uh, you know, I've told or that like, made the greatest impression on me, um, you know, enough times. Uh, sort, of, sort of going by uh, my internal two rating rather than personal. Um, <laughs> and uh, this, this one has, you know, definitely I told many times to people who never had a chance to meet Mark. Um, when I went to the memorial service for... You know, the general public. The funeral was just for family, but they held, uh, you know, memorial service for, you know, everybody else. And they had to rent a hall bigger than most movie theaters these days. Wow. Um, and I, I was I was deathly ill. Uh, probably flew at that time of year, but uh, um, my girlfriend had to practically carry me there because I was like, yeah, fortunately, I was only five blocks from the hall. This is uh, East Village, but um, uh, she was practically carrying me there because, like, I'm not, I'm not missing this. <laughs> you know, I didn't get to know him well enough to begin with. I'm not missing this. I, I didn't know anything about the whole engine ahead of time. But when we got there, I, I saw how big it was, and it was standing room only. Oh, wow. Yeah, since since I was a, a little bit late, but maybe about ten minutes, uh, uh, we had to kind of stand at the door because it was so packed. And uh, I guess there were, you know, at least five, six hundred people there. Wow! Wow! Um, and, and I was not surprised because I knew, you know, comics is very contentious and, and competitive business, and yet. You know, 
while he was around, uh, I couldn't think of anybody I've ever met uh, who even had anything bad to say about Mark, let alone who didn't like him. Mm-hmm. He had no enemies that I'm aware of. Um, and basically, it turns out like the whole industry turned out to this. And my, my girlfriend was just like constantly, you know, six months later, she'd be talking to a friend, and somehow this would come up, and she'd be like, that was incredible. I've never seen so many people in one place. Um, and I just, you know, even over there, she'd give me this look occasionally with like the, with the open mouth astonishment book, and I just nod. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, and everybody, and they had, you know, it was like theater. They had a stage, and people would get up and they'd tell stories about Mark, or they'd show video clips. Or anyway, that's my, that's my, my official most vivid memory. Partly because, you know, um, you know, I think that that should be remembered itself. For sure. No, I mean, yeah, you bring up a good point. It feels like no one's ever said anything bad about about Mark. Like he's kind of this universally kind of beloved character that uh, was taken way too soon. But yeah, everyone seemed to have liked, which is pr- quite the feat. And sometimes people who are universally beloved in word of mouth, well, the reason for that is, <laughs> you know, uh, if people people speak out against somebody, uh, uh, there will be consequences. Hmm. You know, so, sometimes you hear, oh, there's like the nicest guy in all of Hollywood, and like, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, he's Harvey Weinstein, everything he knew. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you can just smell that hypocrisy. Um, not, you know, many mainstream computer, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, with Mark, it was true. Hmm. So let's go. Yeah. W- let's go um, way way back for a second, Len. So I mean, so I kind of jumped forward with talking about Mark because yeah. you brought you brought him up. But I mean, I'm always curious to hear about him. But um, let's go back for a second. So when did comics first kind of become part of your life? How did you first kind of interact with them? How old were you? What what were you reading? Who were the characters that were kind of drawing you in? I don't. Okay, I, they, they say people's memories don't start set, you know, setting in stone until age three or four. So it's got to be before then, because I don't remember there being a point in my life where I wasn't reading comic books. Um, more, more broadly, I don't remember a time in my life before learning to read. Mm. And that is, you know, my grandmother always... You know, she was like the exception to all the grandmothers who threw out all your comic books when you weren't looking. Uh, she was she was happy to have me reading them. She was like, "Hey, he's reading." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, back in this, you know, like born in '62, this would have been you know, uh, nineteen seventy or so, and uh, and she'd be happy happy to pick him up, you know, because I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And in third grade, uh, I tested uh, first year college level reading comprehension. So that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Even the relatives stopped discussing. Um, um, so I can't, I can't tell you which I read first or who my favorite was prior to, you know, 
beginning of memory, but uh, that's how far back it goes. Okay. So when, when did you, well, I guess two things. When did you decide, you know, or when did you first kind of realize that I really kind of want to work in comics? And when did you realize not only do I want to kind of work in the field, but like I actually want to write them? Well, that's, that's interesting because there are two very different, um, I don't want to say incidents, but uh, epiphanies in life um, many years apart. I mean, most of my remembered childhood and early adolescence is, say, about uh, age seven or eight when you first start realizing you're going to have to get a job. <laughs> And, I don't know, 12 or 14-ish, um, um, I wanted nothing more than to grow up and draw Spider-Man just like John Romita. Hmm. I should say John Romita Sr., but, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I, have, I have met them both, but I've interacted with Sr. much more frequently and... Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of default to, and also he was still just John Romita in the credits when I uh, was reading them. Um, but uh, yeah, but it's all that. But, but, you know, um, practically considered the issue settled, not knowing the you know <laughs> the process it would take. Um, you know, even if I managed to get to that level of uh, achievement. Uh, you know, that, that was step one out of 200. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and once I was working in the writing, uh, trying to break into writing and started getting some, uh, even, even into my first several months of books, uh, discovering how much of doing the job was not doing the writing, but keeping the job. Mm. You know, uh, but anyway, yeah, um, now when I realized, when I, about uh, 14, 15, I started to have some doubts about my artistic ability, um, it was burbled under the surface, and I did a year, uh, I did a semester of um, art school that confirmed uh, I teach. That's it. That's what I want to do. I love that. I was like, I want to spend the rest of my life doing that for a living. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, that, that, you know, one of my Facebook page says, uh, study that Mass College of Arts, uh, studying the terror of futility. <laughs> 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 you know, all class getting an assignment to do something and, come back and if it really worked up and I'd see like you know uh, Picasso Rembrandt Michelangelo and I was sitting there with stick figure and just pulled the plug early on because you know uh, I wasn't really interested in commercial illustration which I might have eventually been able to train me to do um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't want to do corporate logos or anything like that. I wanted to throw Spider-Man. <laughs> if I couldn't do that, well, I wasn't going to draw anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but overlapping with, you know, since 14, 15, uh, it was not 
so much thinking of it as, uh, you know, a profession, but just started interesting me as something, you know, to do. Uh, you know, um, I have a lot of, I, as a kid, I didn't really have much in the way of friends. I was in a neighborhood, didn't have any, any of the kids my age. And, uh, uh, you know, at school, I was like, you know, I, I was like when they got that sound like from the vision of the body snatchers and all the other students would point at me and go, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, somehow uh, I was recognized as a dangerous mutant or something. Um, and of course, the persecution just pushed me further in that direction because if you tell me not to do something, I will do it twice and take photographs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, um, but I guess it was when I really first got obsessed with Edgar Rose Burroughs. And although it's it's really kind of archaic now, his uh, logic of the moment, diving head first, first person, you know, very compelling when you're, you know, 12 to 14. Um, you know, because it's very much in the wish fulfillment category, and it just, it just sucks you in. Mm-hmm. And it's also very easy to pick up, like like milk in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I found I I've never really thought much about writing before. I'd read a lot, and I didn't make comprehension. I hated SHS in school, so I never did a whole lot of composition. But the Burroughs thing, just like you know. It's like the anti-life equation that just like sucks you, <laughs> and all you can do for a while is regurgitate a Burroughs pastiche. Um, you know, and, and it didn't take me long to say, hey, that's really easy, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that, like, I don't know, a, a hobby or something, or short stories. Uh, I didn't know then it was all very hazy other than uh, that's the first time I'd sat down and written something that I wasn't agony every minute composing mm-hmm. um, and you know hadn't yet realized oh that that's because it wasn't my wasn't something I was interested in you know I, I eventually learned that if I was something I was interested in I could turn in you know uh, term papers that were you know the teacher would be like PLDR <laughs> <laughs> you know uh I think a lot of people can probably relate to that that feeling, but I, I think I can't tell you how many times I, I heard something like that from my, my parents when they come home from parent-teacher night when I was in school, and they'd be like, well, they, they all say that if you're interested, then you do really well, and if you don't care, you're doing pretty crappy. I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. Uh-huh. Um, have you been diagnosed with ADHD? I have not, no. Uh, you should you should look up some of the symptoms and see if you recognize anything because that's one of the big ones. <laughs> it's like uh, I didn't know I wasn't diagnosed until I was forty two. Oh wow! Uh, um, because and this this it turns out does happen fairly frequently. It's like uh, you know if you if you're good at something or like if you're good at what you're interested in but bad at what you're not, uh, that's put down to character flaw. Hmm. You know, you can't, you can't give equal attention to, uh, 
uh, something that doesn't interest you, and that's that that scene is slacking off. But it's actually, you know, uh, it was just nice to find out when I was looking. Oh, that wasn't really my fault. <laughs> it was like it really does almost like uh, feel like spears through your head to concentrate on something you hate. Um, uh, but there's uh, also you could, you know. You know, I was, you know, I never dreamed before she I had my, uh, had my problems with depression and, and later anxiety and, and, and stuff. Uh, um, you know, they come in groups. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once depression manages to, like, move in permanently, it starts inviting its friends over. Oh. Um, oh. You know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I fought it my whole life. I had uh, a good period, um, about 20 years, where, where the medications were were helping, uh, and then they uh, just quit. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I haven't... This is why I, one of the main reasons, the main reason of being, uh, I left comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, uh, got no words... <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, you know, um, I would love to go back to it, uh, but um, it, it's it's hard, especially when I was trying to get. I, I volunteered for clinical trials on various experimental things and uh, and all that. Um, yeah, but. Uh, uh, you know, once it set in as treatment resistant, it was only a couple of years after that that I was diagnosed with ADHD. That's what it moves in and plays its friends. Um, I'm sorry to hear at that. The very least it, at least, it, it, at least it, you know, that's the way I look at it. it uh, I've had some friends tell me, oh, but you, you've always, like, been like that. I'm like, no, that, that bad, but I was like, Mm-hmm. I usually, you know, when I was at the height of my form, I, yeah, I, okay, I, I looked back there and said, well, that might have been a clue. Uh, uh, you know, I'd be working on a script for one book, uh, a plot for another, uh, dialoguing a third, while having a chat window open and the uh, CNN on the background. <laughs> All at once, I just kind of skip around windows. Going, okay, uh, I don't know what to do next year. Uh, you just something else and type in, you know, as much as I had for that. And, and I didn't see this as, as abnormal. I saw this as like, you know, uh, efficient time, <laughs> usage of time. Um, time management, that's the word. Efficient time management. Uh, so, but, yeah. so let me ask, like, going, so I'm going to, I'm going to go back again for a second. So like, yes, please. I, I know that this is also part of, you know, part of the set of symptoms. Uh, uh, you get me talking about something, and I can't shut up about it until I've forgotten what I was talking about. That's a, that's okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll guide it. I'll guide us through on, on where we're gonna kind of go here. So like when you mm-hmm. first kind of start breaking in at Marvel, and again you're doing like you know you're working on Marvel Comics Presents, so you're doing a Werewolf by Night story mm-hmm. there. Um, and again, you're working on Quasar uh, with Mark, who's actually writing it. And then eventually you get Iron Man not too far into that, uh, I guess a couple of years. But it sounds like you have 
kind of a Herculean task because you come on to Iron Man and you're following up John Byrne, who's just had a run on the oh, book. Man. And and that, that can't be easy. Like, and Iron Man's like, you know, I, I mean, obviously he's not maybe what he is now where everyone kind of knows who Iron Man is, right. but he's still one of the, you know, the founding Avengers. So you get to write his oh, ongoing okay. adventures and you're, t- you're pulling, you know, you get to come uh, come in right off of John Byrne. What was that like and how stressful a situation was well, that to um, have the book? Uh, when it rains, my back still hurts. <laughs> um, not, not just, you know, it being John who, uh, you know, certainly at that period, but I, I, well, I haven't really kept in touch with him or, or kept up on what he's been up to for some time. Uh, I had a winter period, walked away from comments entirely, um, you know, because just thinking about it was unpleasant. But, uh, you know, when I did talk to him and, you know, deal with him regularly, uh, uh, I liked John. John was always uh, courteous and, uh, uh, you know, a decent fellow to me. Um, uh, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be perceived as dissing John as uh you know, it's not just his storytelling ability, but the fact that he used it to construct this Gordian knot of Tony Stark is dying. And, you know, I don't care if you're bringing the Spectre, the Living Tribunal, and Stan, <laughs> nobody's going to be able to, uh, to undo this. <laughs> and I wonder, I, I've been kind of, had was tempted at the time uh, to call John and say, uh, you know, even if I had to make something up over production, she's like, you know, I said, you're awesome, you owe me. <laughs> you know, I, I was just, I was just an editor on the Avengers books with Howard Mackey for several years. Um, and I'm sure that it had been long enough that I could just, <laughs> it's like, you know, I had to letter that entire book myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, somewhere in there, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, just he, you know, hit him hard and fast. Like, well, what is the answer to this question? Because <laughs> you're killing me here. You're killing me. And then, then I kept saying, no, 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 because going back to before I can remember reading, you're learning to read, I've always been the kid that was like, no, I want to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> no matter, you know, I will stop and ask directions if I'm lost driving. Uh, I remember once I did that with with, with a a girl I was dating, and she was like, you know, stepping out of the car and making this elaborate, you know, mime of fainting. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm getting laid tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But most things, I, I, you know, if there's a way for me to make it harder on myself, that, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and also just kind of wanted to be able to stay in interviews. No, I, you know, didn't get any help from John. I, I called him and begged, and he just laughed with an <laughs> echo chamber effect and hang up. <laughs> Whatever, just to... Uh, yeah, I wanted it to be out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it it always uh, it always felt like you, you you definitely 
figured out an easy way, not an easy way necessarily, but I mean, your, your Iron Man run is so interesting because again, you, you have kind of a more broken Tony Stark than most people have to deal with. And then it's interesting because again, like that's the way I like it. You you have the the broken Tony Stark is half the point of the whole book. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and you, yeah, and like getting to see him kind of rebuild himself, and like again, you have him to the point where like he's you know pretty much dead, and then he's not able to move his body, and having just like kind of using the telepresence kind of armor, like it's. I just wish I'd had more time. All of that, basically, when you know, I look at my whole Iron Man mind and say, "Well, that's a great set of notes." Yeah, that's a great set of, like, ideas for Iron Man <laughs> but uh, I'd want to write them all over again. Mm. Um, you know, uh, somebody asked me years ago, uh, I don't, that maybe was online, I, you know, the only conversation I had about comics was, was on Facebook, but if I got to do Iron Man again, what would I do? And I just said, something completely different. Mm. You know, because, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff I did, uh, you know, is uh, is familiar now. Mm-hmm. But I was so glad that, like, I don't have to give. I don't have to like have the first issue be. Oh no! All this drinking has given me a heart attack. <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, or or worse, you know, all this drinking has given me a heart attack. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, solving the, the Tony Stark is dying problem that uh, uh, racked my brains until suddenly light dawned, and it was it was all simple. And I thought, uh, almost brilliant. Yeah, Tony Stark is dying. Tony Stark dies, but not like you know. By then, we had the death of Superman, you know, and various of its imitators. So. That was that was already like, you know, giving people reason to stop buying books they were already buying, mm-hmm. um, which I see as a large part of the the collapse of the nineties. Is you know a lot of the fan base went from, you know, looking for you know, the the cliffhangers were always a way to either buy the next issue, but what the readers were looking for were excuses to stop buying that series because they couldn't buy all of them anymore mm. so something did, they did something dumb enough or crappy enough you know hit the axe so you know uh, I, I knew that just killing him was going to well that would get me chilled but what hadn't been done they didn't nobody hitchcocked it <laughs> okay the bomb under the table Right, but the audience knows the bomb is under the table. The characters don't, and you've got a countdown timer at the bottom of the screen. Um, There's actually an example history of of, of defining suspense. Mm-hmm. Is like there's a bunch of characters in a room. There's a bomb in the room. The audience knows it's there. The characters don't, and there's a timer. Um, I always wanted to be a under. A glass table on Thanksgiving. So every time people are passing plates, they're almost revealing the bomb, but then covering up again. <laughs> um, uh, so yes, it's like okay, we know Tony Stark's nice, and they're they, they're in a But we also know that 
most of the cast and the world at large believes he's dead. It turned the usual where, you know, Superman dies and uh, CNN at least believes it's going to stay that way. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe anybody who's been reading comics for more than two weeks uh, <laughs> wasn't like, oh, well, at, at the most enthusiastic, like, I wonder how they're going to get out of that. Not yeah, how. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so, so let me actually. But the, anyway, just turn on his head, have the readers know, oh, yeah, he's coming back. Mm. But what's going to happen when he does? So, how hard he is, Rhodey, going to hit him? So, I mean, so here's a question. So, I mean, you. You do something new with Tony again, as you said. Like you were kind of given an untenable situation, so you just you know, you take it to its logical kind of conclusion. You do have him quote unquote die, and you get to push Rhodey into the forefront in a way that we hadn't seen before. And again, we we end up getting War Machine out of this, and so again we have this new armor, this new character, which is not unheard of for that period because again, you know, yeah. uh, you know, we had U.S. Agent around this period with Thunderstrike, so yeah. having kind of spinoffs of. Kind of those. The, the, this was the, not at all part of my thinking. <laughs> so, well, and that's what I want to get at. Was that was that ever part, something that you kind of thought about as being able to kind of spin Rody off on his own? No, I read part part of you, know, you talk about um, all, you know hitting you know the the professional writing part. Um, you make it sound like overnight success. It was a, like eight to ten year overnight success. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, I, I worked in the offices for eight years and just about every department they had uh, before I could get the writing taken particularly seriously because nobody warned me you kind of had to be part of editorial. Mm. You know, it was like, it was like, high, you know, my moral career is like proof that high school never ends. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, when I had a proposal that I pitched, uh, uh, I think I, I had been working on it for a while, even before Burns leaving, because Burns don't leave. That's one certainty. Um, these days, there's certainty about anybody in comics. But, um, and I think it would take me a while to to sell it, uh, sell myself, uh, so somebody would actually read it. Um, so it only took a little tightening up in details. Uh, you know, um, when it was time to hand it in, one of them being the, how we handle the he's dying thing. You know, that could have been settled by that. But I'd always planned to introduce, to have something happen to him. You know, uh, take him, you know, take him out of the loop for a while and have Rhodes get another ch- chance at being Iron Man and this time stepping it up to also he didn't try to start Enterprises mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, you know over the course of, the, of the, the character's history you know he went from being a grunt to you know unofficially being Spock to uh, Tony's Kirk yeah you know uh, it's like, okay, well, here's Tony Stark, the third smartest man in the world, and his friend Jim Rose, who's smarter than he is, or at least has more sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, whose reasons for putting on the armor would be like night and day. 
Tony Stark does it. Some versions would have it be out of a sort of persistent guilt and these are atonement. And uh, I think that may be in there, but more it's like, uh, you know, if he wasn't doing that, uh, he'd be bungee jumping off like the shield orbital platform. You know, he's, he's, he's an adrenaline junkie. Um, you know, uh, the movie's kind of, you know, hinted at that where he, he kept promising peppers. He'd quit and he just couldn't. Um, but, uh, I didn't like, again, I don't want to diss in one particular, so I did not care for it. Not, it was terrible. Um, I did not care for the previous time Rhodes had been, uh, you know, uh, substitute Iron Man. Um, you know, while Tony was busy doing, you know, doing on bottle two, uh, because they had, they had to, I don't know why, but, uh, it seemed like, or even who was responsible, because another thing I learned writing comics was, uh, you know, you can't always blame the writer, because <laughs> sometimes the, the really stupid thing that you don't like is something that, uh, had to be forced down their throats. Um, sometimes the best idea had to be forced down their throats. Uh, I've had a few of those, like the whole process. I thought every step of the way, and then when it was in print, I was like, you know, that's really cool. So, um, I, I want to. I fixed that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, Rhodes was hobbled. You know, first with, you know, extensive doubts about whether he was up to the role, uh, to, um, uh, you know, uh, um, the, the cybernetic, um, interface not being tuned for his brain waves, mm-hmm. uh, to giving him migraines, just something so that, you know, any crucial moment where the average verbal hero would somehow pull through got one chance to eat my lunch um <laughs> uh Rhodes would lose his grip hmm. you know he, he might come back from that but he was always just just shy of a, you know a full protagonist hmm. you know he was a he was a guy substituting his Iron Man uh in part because he was not up to being on him and supposedly would be underst- understandably less skilled and, and less adept and all. I don't like that because he, yeah, he's not the genius, technical genius Tony is, but you know, he was a Marine when Stark was still playing golf with uh, you know uh, warheads. <laughs> um, you know, uh, this is the guy who's not only you know, fought with just, you know, his bare skin keeping the bullets away. Uh, oh, wait, that's Luke Cage, I guess, the way I stated it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, without, without, without armor, period. Um, but, you know, Marines aren't all jarheads, you know. <laughs> uh, some of them have a much better grasp of military history and strategy and tactics than I ever will because uh, those Books don't interest me. Mm-hmm. I want to ask. I mean, there, if it's reference for a story I'm writing, then I'll read a stack of it. Okay. 
So I have a question uh, here. But, so I, I want to yeah. jump for a second to 1993. You have mm-hmm. an, an interesting kind of stretch where you're working on, and maybe this is kind of that ADHD that kind of you mentioned before about kind of working on a lot of different things at once, but you're working on Morbius the Living Vampire, you're working on Slapstick, and you're working on Iron Man at the same time. How did you <laughs> kind of keep those three books straight? Because they're so different from each other. Oh, it was so much easier than the period where I was writing... Um, you know, Iron Man and War Machine. Uh, and I think somewhere in there, either the proposal for or the actual beginning of the series of Joe Strider 299, so it would be all techno all the time. Mm. Um, you know. So it was easier uh, to have books that had more of a. Morbius was my dream book. Morbius was my stealth, you know, uh, they wanted to see him revived and had been working on a proposal for several years before. Um, you know, uh, they, they, you know, the powers that be sent down a memo saying, you know, we want to revive this list of characters. And I was right there. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I know, it's like, uh, you want to write a, a proposal for Morbius? And I'm like, hold that thought. And I walked down to my office, you know, took one of the, took a copy of the latest draft out of my desk drawer, went back and says, is this quick enough? <laughs> Because it was already in the works, and this later caused me some distress because, you know, uh, it stopped being what I had in mind very early on because it, it had to like be homogenized into Midnight Suns. Hmm. Um, so it kind know, of fell apart for uh, you in terms uh, of it being a kind uh, of a dream. The slapstick, yeah, slapstick. Uh, James and I had been working on for several years. Um, I think it was like 88 when we first had that idea and uh, uh, you know it got approved a couple years later and then it was in development hell for another couple of years I mean uh, you know, first first meeting I had with Mark and Tom about it uh, uh, where they said you know we're going to do this it's going to be a monthly book and everything and, and Tom who um I don't say we didn't get along, but we, we didn't see eye to eye on what Marvel ought to be doing. Mm. Even I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was nobody. <laughs> this is even before I was an editorial. You know, I was like, the, you know, my first six months there, I was uh, temporary help handing a voucher every day from time. Um, you know, uh, and Tom, you know, Tom had this like, everything should be like it was when I was 10 and first reading Marvel Comics, which I can understand because, hey, all the stuff I wanted to do went back to my teens, Morbius, Howard the Duck, <laughs> you know, which Tom saw as that was, you know, that era of Marvel was, you know, a detour away from how Marvel should be. It was an error. Not it was bad, just that's not, that's not what we do. Um, uh, hmm. I, I look back and I see Stan overthrew the orthodoxy in the early 60s about what kind of superhero comics should be like and then Starlin, Englehart uh, Gerber those came along about 10 years later and said well Stan's become the standard now so it's time to overthrow Stan uh, and, and you know 
they all, you know, you look, that's the one thing all of their work had in common. It was like, well, we're going to do something orthogonal uh, to the you know, three-dimensional Marvel Universe. Hmm. Um, you know, try to imagine, I don't have, some writers I can imitate, uh, you know, I've been hired a couple times because I could imitate, uh, but Stan is not one of them. Uh, but I, I would, I would, I would definitely pay to see a couple issues of a, a mini series where it's like, you know, what it would have been like if Stan had written Man Thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, or, or that sort of thing. Um, and I'm sorry again, I've, I've digressed into a whole theoretical. Uh, Not to worry. Topic that, the things only I know for 500, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, so I have a question. So with, with Iron Man, so again, in the last, I think, year or two that you were on, on the book writing Iron Man, you were paired up with Tom Morgan and doing some really great stuff. And then, like... Ha- I Tom Morgan was, was after... Hopgood was first, then it was Tom Morgan. That's right. So the, the last year or yeah. so of, of, that you were on the book was more Tom mm-hmm. Morgan, yeah. So I guess my question is, you know... And, may, and maybe you don't want to answer, so that's okay. But like, you, you were on the book for a while, and then obviously it came to an end. And you uh, did have other projects at the time. Was it hard to leave Iron Man, or I don't again, I don't know the circumstances. It was but, very hard. Yeah, it was very hard. They had to practically put a gun to my head to make me do it. Hmm. And this is where we tread over, and then tread, tread, tread very carefully. I, I've, I've been, you know. I posted stuff on Facebook, giving interviews and stuff. So, um, none of this is going to be, you know, new knowledge. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they made me quit. They, they put me in a position where I, I you know, um, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, was, uh, it wasn't a good experience anymore. Like Jerry Jones weaving Green Lantern, except, uh, without the, uh, going to jail for child pornography part. Um, <laughs> You know, um, I hope that like, there isn't a cause and effect thing there. If so, I'm in big trouble. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but that's how I'm <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Um, uh, you know, there was a, I had been told a couple months in advance by my editor that there was going to be a big retreat amongst all the Avengers character writers um you're gonna spend like you know four or five days at some place i think it was on long island you know one of those business retreats with conference rooms and all that i already done one of these for the midnight suns books so uh you know and you know having survived that you know just as iron man i'd been on the book a while i wasn't like i wasn't worried i i, I knew what a, basically getting uh, plan to have something to do in the evenings. Bring books, you know. <laughs> um, you know uh, uh, but he, he was always like, you know, and uh, don't get, you know, you don't have to panic. Cause, you know, well, he knew I'd, you know, written more be soon. <laughs> um, uh, done that whole thing. Uh, uh, and, you know, he was like, you know, don't worry. It's not anything particularly important. Uh, they're not talking about, uh, you know, doing anything to Iron Man. They just want you there as, you know, the expert on the subject because, you know, uh, you know showing either, 
humility on becoming an editor or uh, just plain trying to uh, ensure that the secretary would not disavow all knowledge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he would be an unindicted co-conspirator. Uh, you say, like, because at this point, you're the guy. <laughs> you know, how, I have, like, how often do I call you and say, uh, uh, what's Tony Stark's shoe size? <laughs> I say, uh, let me think about it a minute. Look up shoe sizes on the internet. Uh, right, here. <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, because I, I, I made a point of reading all the back material before, you know, I took over the book, um, which I guess is, would be startling to today's freelancers. It's like, oh, uh, can you send me some reference to like the past couple months of the series? But, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm not using anything hmm. having to do with, uh, you know, left in step man. You know, it's going to be the all new, all different left in step man. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's very easy to take pot shots at guys that are, you know, doing the work that, you know, you know I did it was the greatest job I ever had. Wish I was still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, add that two cents in there. I, uh, uh, they're not all beloved to me, especially some of the ones that have worked on characters. I still feel like, you know, what are you doing, dancing with my daughter? <laughs> so, <laughs> let me ask you. Uh, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, I went there, and day one, topic one, 9 a.m., uh, you, know, uh, you know, the engine of this crossover is going to have to do with Iron Man. You know, they told again that that reassurance speech several times over two months, and walk in and you know uh, ambush. Um, and I seem to be the only person in the room that doesn't notice. Hmm. Uh, possibly my editor may have been the second person. I'm. All I know is he and I had a conversation many years later that uh, you know took a lot of the the. Uh, irritation with him away um, but uh, yeah basically like uh, and basically this is what's going to happen you know we're going to reveal that all these years Tony Stark has actually been the zombie mind slave of Tang Conqueror <laughs> and then we're going to then we're going to have him die heroically and be replaced by a younger version of himself and I'm like and this is where I'm like uh, holding up my hand hello you <laughs> Winging it back and forth, yeah. and, and uh, Mark, who was uh, sort of uh, running this, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, Tom was there, but Mark was doing management of the uh, discourse as a name for that moderator. <laughs> um, and I said to Mark, "Excuse me, Mark." <laughs> Like DC just kind of have a little bit of a problem with uh, Green Lantern over doing that exact storyline <laughs> last year, and everybody in the including Mark, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, a recurrent argument, uh, and everybody agreed except me that no, this is a completely different story. There's nothing to do with. There's like not even any points of comparison is like uh, which boiled down to DC replaced Hal Jordan with Kyle Rayner and this we're replacing Tony Stark with Tony Stark so not at all the same 
Hmm. I was I was unconvinced. I remained unconvinced for the next four days. And that that meeting amounted to, uh, you know, Len Kaminsky versus the universe. Hmm. I mean, um, I, I do feel like you know, you know, obviously in retrospect, I mean, not many people appreciate or enjoy that Teen Tony Teen Tony era. So it does feel like you were kind of proven right. Yeah, I know. I knew what was right. I, I, you know, one of, when I quit, one of the things I told my editor was, you know, I, I haven't been doing this professionally long enough. My career is still too young for, for me to be able to afford to be known as the guy who made Iron Man suck. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, I've been on it long enough and read enough fan mail and, and such that, uh, I mean, back to the other the guys on Facebook, Advanced Iron, um, the you know, Iron Man fan group, they were just a, a Xerox newsletter back then. Mm-hmm. But um, they got hold of me early on and asked if they could send me copies. And so I was like, you know, exposed to the proto social media thinking on, and, you know, I didn't want to look any of these guys in the eye and say, yeah, I, you know, uh, I, uh, I was only following quarters. Hmm. You know, it's like, cause as a fan of Iron, which I was, um, yeah, Morbius was my secret project, but, you know, Iron Man was real close to, you know, I didn't have to revive Iron Man. <laughs> you know, I just had to convince them when they had an opening. But he was, he was on my hit list of characters I wanted to write because there was so much that I could see that could be done with him beyond what had been done. Mm-hmm. It, seemed, it seemed like he was, you know, yeah, every writer that came along improved him, but in such small increments over so long a period, um, you know, uh, and you can't just say it's comics, that's the way it works, because Superman got all those extra powers a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, um, you know, I, I, you know, me, it would have been day, day one, like, uh, time bandits, you know, if I was in charge, day one, of creating the universe, lasers, <laughs> I, I would have gone straight to the modular armor. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, I loved, the specialty armors as a oh. kid. Yeah. And this stayed with me as a, as a you know, when you, there were only, by the time I got to Marvel, the only two books I was reading were Daredevil and Iron Man. Um, yeah, I was almost, yeah, another, another couple of years and I would have been out of the hobby and probably teaching English somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll probably be an ex-English teacher for teaching English, <laughs> you know, teaching, uh, you know, parts of English that are not generally taught. <laughs> um, so, Len, I want, so I want to ask, yeah. I, we're, we're kind of nearer at the end of our time, so I, I just want to ask a, a kind of a final question, because obviously, okay. you know, the, the end of Iron Man for you is, you know, not happy memories. But one of the things I do yeah. want to ask about is that, I mean, you, you, gave, you gave the world War Machine. So War Machine, you know, it really took hold and people really 
love the idea of you know Rhodes in his own armor, not just being a replacement Iron Man anymore, but again yeah. being a character in and of himself. And obviously, he's in movies, etc. Like you know, War Machine is a known entity. Um, how does that make you feel as the one who kind of put him in a separate non like not as Iron Man anymore, made him his own entity for the first time, so that he could really thrive and not just be you know Iron Man two? Um, how does that make you feel um, as the one who kind of did that? Uh, you know, as a white boy from New Hampshire, um, I, I, I am uh, sort of pleased with myself that uh, I was able to write the character uh, and not accidentally fuck up so bad. <laughs> uh, I was an industry, you know, running joke, uh, of which there are several about boot teams and um, but I didn't know, you know, that that was a, a thing they should avoid. Um, but uh, also that my instincts, you know, when I when, when asked to define the difference between the two, I said uh, Iron Man is science fiction. War Machine is diehard mm. in the suit of armor. You know, Rhodes is an action hero with the suit of armor. Yeah. Uh, Stark is well on his way to being something other than entirely human. Um, uh, you know, uh, Stark has this whole, you know, guilt slash thrill-seeker motivation. Rhodes, it comes down to he's a fundamentally decent human being. Hmm. And uh, I don't remember, it was a period where I was using quotes to define things uh, you know, like on the splash page or the last page, and uh, some of them got bounced. I think most of those were DC. Uh, no, the legal department says you can't do that. Um, but I, I don't. I remember there was a one scene where I was not allowed to say, "Yeah, when monkeys lay on my butt." Like, this is box. Like every week. <laughs> so I don't know, but the, but this is still the basis philosophical basis of what to do with the character was um, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, the only thing that evil requires to triumph is that good men do nothing. Mm. And there's a few variants of that and a lot of debate about who originally said it, but uh, the point is, like, you know, good men like Jim Rhodes who ordinarily uh, you know, uh, the, the Greek Massachusetts uh, give me a lever big enough and I will move the world well most like most of us you know Jim Rose got a lever about three feet long um, now you give him a suit of armor on a part of Iron Man now he's got a great big lever <laughs> and you can't not use it um being a little older and more experienced from Peter Parker, he goes about it in a different way. Um, but the, the, the series, as it appeared, had so little to do with uh, the original pitch. And it's like visible, the point was intended as visible in the first few issues, but it pretty quickly becomes fight, 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 which is why I quit. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, um, it was, you know, Rhodes was going to become, you know, the, the, having been CEO of Sonic Enterprises, that, that's a high profile. Um, 
Headhunters are going to be looking for guys like that. Uh, he's hired by the head of basically Amnesty International. Um, and what they don't know is, is they're getting an enforcement arm <laughs> along with a CEO. Uh, when, when diplomacy fell apart, when negotiation or anything else uh, uh, failed, there was always warranty to go in and settle this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which the, the speech of the United Nations that actually got into print is a good touchstone. So he was going to be persona non grata with practically the whole costume community. He was going to be, you know, one of the world's most wanted terrorists um, because he was acting from conscience. Hmm. Um, uh, also, uh, there's a certain amount of. Uh, I wanted to back correct. This is a, a rationale for him being warning when it was about, you know, usually when they use that term, they mean more like a U.S. agent. Um, uh, so uh, it became, uh, you know, first, first word was an acronym, World Boss Army Response. Because mm. um, it was not used as a, a proper name in the comics, uh, uh, you know, not, 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 not in too much Iron Man, uh, although, no, yeah, I'm tough. Um, I'm sorry, my editor uh, uh, got confused about uh, shipping order uh, and had an issue of uh, X-Force corrected uh, from calling him Iron Man to calling him War Machine, and it was like, no, next month, next month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, originally, uh, Rhodes was going to take over Stark Enterprises and find that a suit of armor had been prepared for him because I hadn't, you know, hadn't worked out all the details of the Tony Stark dies arc, um, uh, like the Masters of Silence, which I expected to be a big hit. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Lasso's going to die, and I'm going to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one story in Presents that. Um, uh, he was going to have to discover that Tony left him not just a company but a suit of armor uh, and this one would be blue, um, blue and gold start with blue and gold uh, which is a combination that worked for the X-Men uh, uh, hadn't been used in Iron Man hmm. um, and I think I was going to petition Martin Grunewald who's a keeper of the, the trademark names uh, for use of Gladiator because Melvin Potter was retired at that point, and uh, the, the, the Shi'ar guy uh, was, had not been around for a while. It's like, besides he's an alien, uh, you know, people of Earth don't know that. So, um, but, uh, I, you know, happened to title uh, the first issue uh, the armor appears in, uh, the 281, um, that was titled War Machine. Yeah, you know, because so, part of that was inspired by the issue of the Hulk, where he's on the cover, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, with two huge guns and bunny slippers. <laughs> and I thought, that, if I was not, I, I never, was that being the but I, I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't buy the Hulk, but I would buy that, just to find out, what the fuck is this about? <laughs> uh, and after... You know, the burn run, I wanted to do something similar as early as possible. Like, get people's attention and say, hey, 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 new ball game. You may not like it, but check it out. Mm -hmm. 
You don't have to buy. You don't have to buy two issues, but buy this one. And if we can't convince you, uh, you know, fuck us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you know, just to get people, just to you know, get noticed. Um, that came back to bite me on the ass later because uh, uh, mm. a couple of things you, you mentioned. Uh, sales would. Uh, I mean, you know, send a memo as to what months they wanted to do, you know, a special embossed holographic, um, you know, metal cover, uh, you know, um, because, uh, you know, based on something national, like, well, this is like X number of years anniversary of uh, Iron Man's first appearance in Tales of Suspense. <laughs> oh, and like it. Uh, three years later, it's like, this is uh, the first anniversary of Iron Man having, you know, uh, you know, having his own series. And it's like, and then I would be given the mandate of making those issues, uh, you know, special issues because we would be doubling the length and getting special covers, uh, which is kind of hard on a two-year, uh, you know, outline where each issue is given a good solid paragraph. Uh, and characters develop and, and things happen on us, uh, you know, According to a timeline I developed, it's already be, it was all like the first from 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 my first issue to uh, three hundred. Uh, it was all bash to fit, paint to hide. <laughs> yeah, you know, had to make all this happen uh, around those and still tell the story. So, I mean, I, I you know, and page links were you know. Uh, I didn't want the fight with Burge to go on that long, which means I got a cut somewhere, and it would be, uh, you know, what's going on in Tony Stark's frozen brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I wanted to develop a, a past for Stark as, you know, complicated and exotic as, as Matt Murdock, who had, I don't know, I think sometimes Matt's, you know, either got multiple personalities or is remembered bring multiple reincarnations because he has enough backstory to fit a whole team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to get some, well, why a suit of armor? You got a whole team full of scraps. I'm sure you could have come up with like a disintegrator pistol of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a uh, you know, an amnesia gun uh, to, to get themselves out of it. But why a suit of armor? Well, uh, we got to ask the self-conscious about that, hmm. you know, and things like his, his father being, you know, a beater and an alcoholic, like, you know, just just filling it in. Um, some of which they, they uh, did in the movies, uh, eerily close to things I had in mind. Um, yeah, but uh, I, had to, I had to trim that over and over yeah. So, for less interesting things, and, you know, uh, uh, I think my favorite issue of Rhodes as as Iron Man is uh, uh, the one with the living laser. Oh yeah. <laughs> because he, he gets over on the laser uh, in a clever way that Tony Stark would never think of. That's right. Yeah. Because it doesn't it doesn't involve like inventing you know it doesn't involve pulling a a, a new gadget out of his ass. Um, and uh, it's actually kind of a mean thing. It, it's like a serious uh, overkill 
Um, and Rhodes feels bad about it. Mm. Uh, I hadn't, something else I hadn't really seen too much of. of uh, well, yeah, I guess I had to do something to, to stop that guy, but I, I wish I hadn't had to drop the moon on him. No, you're right. I, I forgot about that issue. But yeah, because even after, you know, he takes out uh, Living Laser when he goes to talk with, I guess, the, I forget who he talks to, what? but the, the female love interest there were, or a colleague and his kind of hand wringing because of what he had to do. So I remember that very well. Yeah, and, that, and also, it, you know, um, well, that and the, the, the issue right before the last page, you know, it was like the rhythm of, of standard, you know, classic Marvel comic was there, and the cliffhanger was the reveal of why people can sing Tony Stark. is like, is the place hunting? <laughs> <laughs> or is he getting up out of that cryo chest and walking around? Um, no, it's a hologram. Or is it, is it Morgan Stark in disguise? You know, it was the whole excuse for having him apparently die is, okay, we draw attention to Oregon Star to people and <laughs> get rid of him. Um, no, it's a living laser who can be a hologram anytime he wants. <laughs> uh, not that we've seen him do that, but argue with me. I'm the writer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, Len... I thought about this much longer than that. Yeah. Um, Len, thank you again. And, uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. And again, it's really interesting to hear your insights on, again, what you were thinking when you were writing these issues. And again, the, the kind of the thought process. And again, I'm sorry to hear about how it kind of ended, but I'm glad that you got the issues that you got. Because again, it's the first Iron Man I ever knew. It's, uh, you know, again, that those Hands of the Mandarin issues always mean a lot to me. I remember, I think the second Iron Man issue I ever read was Iron Man 290, which is, again, you have Iron Man or Tony kind of first using the telepresence armor after he kind of wakes up and is in after the suspended oh, I, animation. I, yeah, I so wanted to do more than that. Um, my editor didn't believe in the concept at all. It's cool stuff. Um, it's very ahead of its yeah, time, uh, actually. He, he didn't believe that people would have a sense that Stark was in jeopardy. Hmm. You know, uh, no matter how much I tried to explain to him, uh, I, I've bitten some. I read a lot of trading cards. I think at one point, maybe you no, know, I think somebody else on Facebook. But uh, also, Marvel Universe entries. I read about several hundred of those. Uh, so I, I learned how to explain things and it is uh, using shortcuts like, well, you know, it's not radio. It's, you know, got a subspace connection so that, you know, there's no lag. <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't have 10 seconds if, if it's on the moon to unplug before the neural feedback arrives. <laughs> and, you know, the neural feedback can do anything from, like, you know, uh, give him a migraine to kill his ass. Uh, and... We don't know. It's never been done. He doesn't know. How was the last time Tony Stark didn't know what to expect, at least from his own stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to, and you know, uh, and we'll make it like you know, uh, you know, Robo Tech. We'll be like Tom King Paul and like totally weirdly proportions, uh, and that will get people's attention. Though, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> As it was, I had enough trouble getting those, uh, you know, the, 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 having actual metal, the, the metal slots hmm. that showed his eyeballs, uh, you know, that redesign, they did away with the slots from the mouth and the eyes because, oh my God, 
Have you seen the movie lately? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like wrestling mightily to bring this up to the level of, of Hollywood. Uh, you know, even like 10 year old Hollywood. Robocop. Come on. Come on. We're really here. You know, but uh, not bit. My editor was, you know, lacked imagination that it was endemic at that point. Everybody was terrified to change anything. Hmm. Even though. Everything needed changing was where the problems were. Yeah, everything was so overdue for changing, and and too often when they did, it was no, no, not that direction. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, no, it was just nobody knew anything, and and. Uh, you know, when monkeys are confused, they, they, they throw their feces in all directions. Um, well, that's a, that's a delightful image to, uh, to end on, then. <laughs> uh, yeah, people will be like, oh, that's Len, all right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, Len, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me about uh, you know, your work in this period uh, and on these characters. It was uh, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, I apologize for the hours it will take you to edit this into something that makes any sense. No, I, um, I think it, I think it'll. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a, always a big proponent of. I actually under edit. I think there's something to do something with the raw, you know, kind of feeling of how people are responding to you know the questions and how they respond to the memories and uh, the things they're working on. So I really like that kind of that raw feeling, and I think the the audience you know, feels the same uh, I way. Didn't even uh, tell any of the shocking stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always next time. Yeah, we can, I can devote a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Len, Len, thank you. Not safe for anyone. <laughs> thank you so much for taking your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. I, uh, it means a lot to me. It was my pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. And, and your personal oh, thank comments you. Uh, um, that, uh, you know, that means a lot to me because when I sat down to type it would be if I mean something to one person out there I've done my job well then you did your job thank you so much alright thank you thank you and thank you (laughs) have a good evening you too Good night.